I'd like you now to take your Bibles again. We're turning in this little four-part Advent series to Luke chapter 1. And today in this fourth of our little four-part series, before eventually turning back to the book of Galatians, I'd like to look with you at a passage of Scripture that has been known over the course of time as the Benedictus. And it is used, that word, simply because you will find in verse in verse 68, Zechariah will burst out in praise. Praise to God for what he has done. But a little bit of background as you're making your way there in these verses. And it's this. Zechariah has not been one to put his faith wholly in what had just been taught via Gabriel, the angel. Zechariah had demonstrated a lack of faith in his question in Luke chapter 1, where he had asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? And you say, well, Gary, insure of what? Well, you see, Zechariah and Elizabeth are elderly people, and yet Gabriel has burst into their comfort zone and informed them that they are about to have a child. Well, now, Zechariah poses that question in this first chapter of Luke. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is, well, she's well along in years. The angel had answered her in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. What you and I are about to read about this morning is what takes place when the discipline ends. Look over the course of your life. Zechariah was obviously a religious leader in his community, highly respected, up in years, a quantity of time behind him in which he had served his Lord. And yet God has chosen to put him in a disciplinary period because his question obviously demonstrated lack of faith. What fascinates us this morning is this. When the discipline ends, the praise begins. He's not embittered. He's not hardened. And due to the silence, the fact that he has been unable to speak, Because during this time of what I will call inner solitude, it's very clear that he had cultivated a teachable spirit. Now ask yourself, if God for some reason has put you on hold or has allowed you to enter into a time period where you are facing some extreme challenges. When that time period ends, will the praise begin? Or will the questions, skepticism, 
and perhaps even bitterness, mal. What Zechariah stands for, as we now look at these verses, is that praise should fill our mouths, even when discipline is applied to our hearts. So now we pick it up in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Well, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Well, they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Well, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Notice now, it's after. It is after, not before. It is after that statement is made. We are informed in verse 64 that immediately, not gradually, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, well, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now notice there is a chain of praise that is connected together and what flows next? His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. For as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation is from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the covenant he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He continues. And you, my child, will be a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly. Israel. And I think about Zechariah in his elderly years parenting John the Baptist in the desert. There is an example now of a follow-through where he was willing to work out what God had worked into his heart. Leaving Jerusalem, in fact, in his precinct to care for this forerunner of Jesus in 
more austere setting. Fascinating. Let's look to God in prayer. So, Father, with that in mind now, we are looking into your word, praying for those on the roads, perhaps having left first service, and those making their way for third. And while the conditions are less than ideal, our Savior is. So I want to thank you and I want to praise you that we now with our, our your scriptures open and our hearts now open, want the two to be able to meet together. So warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills, Father. So again, we've come here to see Jesus and Him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you respond when an unintended hardship is placed upon your life? When it was not your intent? It was 1832, and the French engineer Ferdinand Lesseps was traveling the Mediterranean in the very region in which the Apostle Paul had traveled. When one of the passengers on the ship had become sick and the ship was quarantined. Now, like you, Lesseps was an active man. And the confinement was frustrating, limiting. Will that be a period of wasted time Or will it be a period of invested time? In his case, the long hours aboard that vessel gave him time to read the memoirs of Charles Le Père, a man who had studied the feasibility of of building a canal from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean. It was that volume during this time period of being quarantined that allowed Lesseps to devise in his own mind a plan for the construction of the Suez Canal. When it was finally built 30 years later, Lesseps looked back upon that period where his activities were hindered, And his involvements were silenced and spoke of how that experience was necessary for him to be able to do what he sensed he was called to do. How do you respond when limitations are temporarily placed upon your life? And when God lifts the limitations, Is the response one of bitterness? Or is the response one of praise? What stands out to me in these verses is that in Zechariah's experience, when the discipline ends, God's praise flows from his lips because it's resonating within his heart. What I want to do with you is to zero in, zone in on four promise keepers, if you will, 
that stand out in this Benedictus, this song of praise that Zechariah delivers personally to his sovereign God, when the lips are finally opened, the praise gushes forth, as should be the case for you and me as well. What can we learn from these four promise keepers? Let's check them out. I want you to notice, first of all, verses 68 down through verse 71. And we're going to phrase this opening promise keeper this way. The number one, we praise God for keeping his promise to redeem his people. Let's develop this together. In verse 67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Contrast that when his mind was simply filled with doubt earlier in this chapter. But now filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesies, and notice what he says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. Let's camp on that phrase for a moment. What stands out to you? Is there a curiosity piece in that opening phrase? There ought to be. He has just praised God because this one has come and redeemed his people. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ has not yet been born. Jesus Christ has not yet died. Jesus Christ has not yet been raised from the dead. Yet here Zechariah is treating the future as if it's past tense. Good is done. Do you see the extreme contrast between where he was at earlier in Luke 1 compared to now? Where the doubt in the past has been replaced by certainties, such certainty that he can speak of a future event as a past tense? Now bring it home. If God has ever, somewhere in the midst of your personal experience, quarantined you, restricted you, perhaps even temporarily removed you from something where you considered it of utmost value. Once the silence ends, once the quarantine has been lifted, question, what flows first from your lips? Why me, God? Or words of praise to God. The future's in past tense. That's how certain his faith is in God's plan. How about for you? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come, not will come, and has redeemed, not will redeem, his, his people. Now, when he says redeemed, obviously, then he's talking about the fact that God's people have been held hostage. For the Israelite people, there's obviously that sense of national hostage where they are in hostage to Rome, 
politically, they are under Rome's authority, but just as and more significantly such, they are under hostage spiritually because the evil one has done his work, and like you, they have entered into this world dead in their sins. And we desperately need a Redeemer to set us free from the captivity, from the hostage-taking of the evil one's work. There is a story of a man by the name of Richard de Leon who was the king of England during the days of the Crusades, thrown into prison. A colossal ransom was demanded for his redemption. The people of England rose to the occasion paid the ransom, the king was then set free, and there's where you and I get the term, a king's ransom. Now, what you and I see here in this story is the king's ransom unfolding before our very eyes as the one born king of the Jews is going to come into this world and pay the penalty for your sins for my sins. And Zechariah is so certain, yet it has not yet happened. He's speaking in past tense. He has come and has redeemed his people. How's the certainty of your faith this morning? And what is the quality of your faith this morning? Read on. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Hit pause. Now, look very carefully at this phrase, a horn of salvation. Now, you look at that, I look at that, and we might begin to wonder, what does he mean imagery-wise by that phrase? Well, still in that time period, Israel was a primarily agricultural community. Throughout the course of Israel's agricultural experience, oxen were used to plow the fields. This was a picture of an oxen horns in battle and victorious. So much so that in subsequent generations, when those went into battle with helmets on head, had horns attached to the helmets, they were signifying the power of God through the usage of the illustration of the horns. Now, what Zechariah is saying here is that the power of God is so evident within his heart, he is absolutely certain that the power of salvation is present in this sovereign plan that he can speak past tense of this future event. Personalize it. If God has temporarily quarantined you, past or present, if God has temporarily silenced you, past or present, what flows from your lips then when that period ends ought to be such praise. You can speak of faith even pertaining to the future in the past tense, and you are so committed to the Redeemer that you can see the power of God unfolding the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes, as Paul would put it, there's the imagery behind this picture. But it's tied to the house of David. 
And now what Zechariah has done is that in this chain of praise, he links now his hearers to the great promise of 2 Samuel 7, where God had promised David a kingdom forever. Now as Mary recognized that this Messiah she carried within her womb would be that which would stand for this forever kingdom and would therefore be used by Gabriel to so prepare her heart when she would see King of the Jews as a sign upon the cross of Jesus. Reminding her, but Gabriel said it's forever. And God had said to David via Nathan, forever. Likewise, now Zechariah sees the power of salvation. He ties it to the promise of David. And he's causing the people that are processing this song that's flowing from his previously silenced lips to begin to think very carefully of the words that have been given to God's people through the generations. Now, in the midst of the Christmas season, are we getting people to think about the words that have been given to us that have been processed through the generations? Love what the Lewises have just shared a little bit earlier. They are participants in that kind of thing, as are so many here. And we need to keep pressing that into future generations. And this is what Zechariah is doing as he now finds himself prepared in his later years to press this truth into a generation that he had all but given up on. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And so he's speaking prophetically, as we see in verse 67. And so, in this promised plan of God through the generations, we can still see that ultimate day still to come in the future when this king from the house of David returns and all the enemies of Israel are being put on notice prophetically, even in this passage. Yet at the same time, the spiritual connotations of the cross of Jesus Christ being related to here in these verses. But you and I have got to be able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. So he speaks with a prophetic past tense pertaining to the future. Verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Is that your kind of faith? When the silence ends, does the praise begin? He is a second promise keeper for us. Flows now out of, out of verse 72 through 75. That second of all, we praise God for keeping his promise to show his mercy. Look at verse 72. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Now notice how he combines mercy with covenant. He shows and he remembers. Now, notice the whole idea of mercy here, where we are, we're getting what we don't deserve, so that by God's grace, simultaneously, we, we are getting what we don't deserve, the true work of Jesus Christ on that cross, where he, he sets us free 
sets us free from this captivity that Zechariah had been alluding to. Think about this picture. Some of us remember it from a previous account. It was after Lee's surrender. And Lincoln was speaking to a large crowd from the balcony of the White House. He told them about the policy he had in mind for the South. And at the end of his speech, Senator Harlan shouted out, What shall then we shall we do with the rebels? And the crowd began to shout back, Hang them. Hang them. To which Lincoln responded, We'll hang on to them. We'll hang on to them. What God has done through Jesus, He's saying, I'm going to hang on to you. Highlander, you've born, been born into sin. You deserve damnation. But, Highlander, you know that your Redeemer lives. And you have put your faith and trust in the one that Zechariah speaks of. He's come to redeem his people. He's come to show his mercy. And now God is saying, pertaining to his people, I'm hanging on to you. I'm not letting go of you. Even when you feel so quarantined in the midst of some difficult experiences in your life. You see mercy in these verses. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And now, just as in that previous stanza, Zechariah pointed people back to David. Now in the second stanza of his musical composition, he goes even further back in time and points them back to Abraham, the oath that was made to Abraham. Most nights I'm in meetings of some sort, and so Pam's gracious enough to record some things for me when I get home. And she recorded for me when I got home one particular night, Christian Amanpour's Back to the Beginning series. You've been watching that? It's fascinating. She's taking people back to what she considers to be the crucial beginnings of the issues of the Middle East. There is a personal reason for her behind this. Her mother was what I will carefully describe as quote-unquote a professing Christian. Her father was a Muslim from Iran. Her husband, who served in the Clinton administration, is Jewish. When they married, they had two weddings on one day, one a Catholic wedding in the morning and then a Jewish wedding in the afternoon. Their son, whose name is Darius, does that sound familiar? with an Iranian background. You see, Darius is part of her story being shown on CNN because they're making their way through various settings in the Middle East. It comes from the name of a prior Persian king spoken of in the scriptures, of course, today, modern-day Iran. 
So now she's trying, with her son by her side, to get all the viewers globally to ponder the significance of beginnings. And how does Abraham, a pivotal figure in, in her story, fit into all this? As the Jews look back to him, and the Muslims look back to him, and Christians look back to him, and she's trying to sort things out. And I'm leaning forward, taking notes with my Bible on my, on my knee, you see. Processing, thinking about what people might be thinking. How they might be responding. Now what Zechariah is doing, He's being guided by the Spirit, not by the television cameras. He's going back in time to Abraham. But what I want you to see is something that has not been fully developed in that series. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And what Zechariah has done is that he has linked Abraham in the second stanza to David in the first stanza. And now we see the flow of history because on that cross, Jesus would have king of the Jews placed upon it. That one who had entered Jerusalem with people saying, Hosanna to the son of whom? David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Fulfilling that promise that had been delivered to David via Nathan in Second Samuel chapter 7, that this kingdom would be forever. And now what Zechariah is doing is that he's articulating musically. He's articulating poetically. Yet he's, po- he's articulating doctrinally the great truths that have now in the midst of those days of silence gotten settled in his own heart. The confusion is gone. The questioning's removed. The certainty is taken root. And the praise is now flowing from the lips. What song are you singing? you got a promise keeper who loves you. And now Zechariah leads us into this third stanza. Because we praise God for keeping his promise, not only to redeem his people and to show his mercy, but now, thirdly, to send his forerunner. Now it gets up close and personal. And now we see Zechariah embracing this. And can you imagine, he might have gotten choked up here. He's just found his voice. Can you imagine maybe a, a, a deep swallow happening when he says, and you, my child. You'd be called a prophet of the Most High. My child. that which he has previously doubted. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. 
most likely he's processed likewise the fact that John the Baptist has already served as a forerunner by leaping for joy within the womb of Elizabeth when Messiah Jesus in the womb of Mary had come into John the Baptist's presence. He already had spiritual awareness within the womb of Elizabeth. Now, as we've said before, that's a pro-life statement right there. Such an internal consciousness, you see. He was already acting as a forerunner when both of them were still in the wombs. Can you imagine now how Zechariah is processing this? As he sings out, and you'll go before me. You'll go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now, do you see that phrase? Go uh, prepare the way of the Lord. It was used to describe in the course of history as a means by which there would be those that would come down roads, whether it be the Roman Empire or prior empires. And if the road was uneven, or if there were boulders and the likes in the roads, that would be cleaned up and cleared out so that when the king would be arriving in his next setting, he would have clear passage. What Zechariah is saying is that I have such true faith in this truth that I believe now that that child within the womb of my elderly wife, Elizabeth, will provide clear passage and clear movements for that child in the womb of our relative Mary. Can you imagine silence now sweeping over this crowd as the one who was previously silent is now singing out the praises of the God who makes all of this happen to give his people the knowledge of salvation to the forgiveness of their sins. What leads us then to the climax? Did you notice that each stanza, each stanza is directed towards a particular person? First stanza toward David, second stanza toward Abraham, third stanza toward John the Baptist. What about the final fourth stanza? Obviously toward Jesus. We praise God for keeping his promise to send his Messiah. First stanza toward David, second towards Abraham, third towards John the Baptist, fourth towards Jesus. And now with rich, rich understanding, he's able to say because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Do you see the light, dark imagery here? Do you see the idea of the rising sun there? Which, interestingly enough, in the early days of American history, such a rising sun was imprinted behind a chair that George Washington was seated upon during the days in which the Constitution was being established. Fascinating. But Israel is the true chosen nation. And Jesus Christ is the true rising sun. And all of us stands behind perhaps a parable that once in a while we've processed, haven't we, and thought through. 
It's about a cave. And the cave lives under the ground, which I guess caves are have a habit of doing, you see. It spent its life in darkness. But it heard a voice calling to it, Come up into the light. Come and see the sunshine. And the cave responded, I don't know what you mean. There isn't anything but darkness. Finally, the cave came up, was surprised to see light everywhere. Well, looking up to the sun, the cave said, Well, come with me and see the darkness. And the sun asked, Well, what is darkness? And the cave replied, Come and see. So one day, the sun accepted the invitation. As it entered the cave, it said, Now show me your darkness. But there was no darkness. Keep that parable in mind when we're lighting candles Tuesday night. Jesus is the light of the world. To shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the path of peace. And now you've got four promise keepers that you could pour into your heart where perhaps at a certain point in your life, past or even present, for some reason, your life, your voice, your ministry, or perhaps your physical activities were silenced. But when the silence ends, the question is, will the praise begin? Let's stand together. I want to thank you, Father. Love this, love the people, love this congregation, and the determination and less than ideal weather conditions to come and worship you because you mean everything to us. And a special thanks to those that have been up pretty much through the night trying to set things up to make things work. But now I pray that each one of us will take these four stanzas and see how the David, Abraham, John the Baptist, Jesus connection unfolds, connects, speaks truth to heart and forces us to acknowledge the fact we've got something to say. We've got something to sing. We've got praise to offer. I know my Redeemer lives. And we thank you for that fact. We give all praise to you and you alone. For this we give you the glory. In Jesus' name. God bless you all. Love you.